0: Folks, we're the only people not experiencing a harvest right now. There's a harvest going on around the world. You couldn't imagine how many people are being saved. God is working in a magnificent way in the Word of God. Why isn't it happening here? We don't give the gospel. People can't be saved without the gospel, and our churches don't do it anymore. We've given it up. Oh, we'll say a few things about Jesus every now and then. But as far as compelling people to believe in Christ, are you kidding me? The church is silent. I call this the silent years of the church. And uh, that's the way it is. And I can sugarcoat it if you would like. I can tell you all the good reasons that people give me that we don't. But the real issue is we don't. Our baptismal pools have become storage units because we don't open our mouths. We're afraid to. But in this passage of Scripture here, I want to give it to you. Uh, Let's read verse 38 because this is the verse that we always go to for missions. All right. It says, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. First of all, we don't do that. Uh, if you don't have a list of countries, or I do it by region, okay? I have uh, nine regions of the world that I pray for, uh, asking God to send forth laborers into his harvest. Folks, we need young preacher boys uh, that are not college students in this pulpit, all they do is just preach what they've read in a book. Sometime if I'm invited back, I'll preach about that. but uh, and after today's message, I may not be, but anyway, <laughs> I love your pastor man. We've had so much fun. We really have. Uh, it's been a, a real joy to me, uh, but this is our verse. This is what we put across banners. This is what we uh, have missions conference. Verse 37. Let's read that together. It says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest is truly plenteous, is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You see, we've believed all of what uh, the news media has said. There is no reason for people to preach today. That's archaic. And and the reason we shut our mouths is because of CNN and MSNBC. We're told that we're not needed. We're told there's no harvest. Well, what are you going to believe? That's really the issue, is it not? Do you believe God? That was the issue in the garden. It's been the issue always. God says there is a harvest, and that harvest is plenteous. And that harvest knows no earthly bound or boundaries. The only reason it's not going on here is the second part of that verse, but the laborers are few. You see, there's never been a problem with the harvest. Never. Do you realize that? God has always had a harvest. He's never failed. You know, I hear people say, well, you know, God's just not working here. Oh my goodness. You want to go to heaven and say that to His face? Or you say that in the back room where He can't see you? I don't think I'd make that accusation if I were you. Because what you're saying is God is limited and He is not God. This place is stronger than He is. California is the bastion and they are more powerful than God is. Well, that's stupid. But that's what we believe. California is a state just like every other state. Does it have unusual beliefs? Well, I'm from the East Coast, so yeah, it does in places. <laughs> but I love California. At least you know your enemy, right? So why is the battle hard? Uh, it says here, the laborers are few. Always been a problem with the laborers. Read, uh, read your Bible and, talk, and think about the laborers and you'll understand why. Operation Renewed Hope goes all the way back to verse 35. And that's our reason for existence. Let's read in verse 35. And Jesus... By the way, that's God, right? So if God does this, don't you think we ought to? I mean, we ought to pattern ourselves after Him. We ought to look like Jesus. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, Jesus went to the heart of the matter, didn't he? He walked right in that synagogue, read the Old Testament and said, that's me. And when they said, we'll kill you for it, he walked out from among them as though they were paralyzed. Paralyzed. He was a man of the gospel. You hear somebody I I hear theologians. I just I think every Christian ought to be a good theologian, don't get me wrong. But these paid theologians, they cause me no end of stomach ache. If I've got an ulcer, and sometimes my ulcers fight for a place in the bottom of my stomach, it's because People speak when they should be quiet. They know not what they speak. And a lot of people have taken the Bible, taken a verse, departed therefrom, and never returned. And what they teach is totally wrong. Jesus was a giver of the gospel. You say, but it says the gospel of the kingdom. That was the phrase that would be used in those days to the Jewish people looking for the kingdom. No different, there's no two or three gospels. There's one, just one. It may be called by a different name, but there are not two or three gospels. There's not one way for the Jews to be saved, and one way for the Gentile to be saved. There's not one way for the rich to be saved, and one way for the poor to be saved. There is one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, right? So he preached the gospel don't you let anybody ever tell you that Jesus while he walked upon this earth did not give the gospel I've had kids come home from college and they would tell me pastor uh, they, uh, Jesus didn't preach the gospel I don't know what you're talking about and I'd say I don't know what you're talking about and then I'd go and show them and they would go wow it's like an enlightenment. They've been too long in college. Now, do I believe every man ought to be as educated as he possibly can be? Yes. I never stop studying. I never stop reading. I never give up on the fact that tomorrow I will know something that I didn't know today. And if I had the ability to go to school and go to school and go to school, why well, sure. I have no problem with that. What I have problem is is with people that don't, tell the truth. So number one, any organization that says they are after the Lord Jesus Christ must give the gospel. You go to an organization and they tell you all the wonderful things they're doing and you say to them, where is the gospel? Oh, we let other people preach that. That organization is not fulfilling God's will. Now, they may do great work, but until that organization decides that Jesus was right and they themselves give the gospel. That's why we've stayed in our fundamental churches, Operation Renewed Hope Pass. We've had opportunity to go out and appeal to wider situations. We chose not to because we give the gospel. And everywhere we go, we show that video, Jesus Saves. By the way, the last part of that was from Bob Jones when they sang uh, Souls for Jesus. That was 1,100 preacher boys at that time singing Souls for Jesus as our battle cry. You've sang that song, haven't you? Me too. Today, if you find a preacher boy, he'll be in seminary and he won't be singing Souls for Jesus. That's across the land, not in one school. But boy, I tell you what, I love that song because it is Souls for Jesus. Now, it goes on to say, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, let me tell you something. The church was not put on this earth just simply to come right here and sit in this room those doors are the opening to the mission field. And every church has been placed upon this earth to follow the pattern of Jesus. By the way, His pattern is repeated over and over and over that I'm giving to you this morning. Not only did He preach the gospel, but He relieved the suffering. We believe it is the responsibility of every Christian, every church, every institution that bears the name of Jesus Christ in any way, that not only will they preach the gospel, but they also will go about healing. That's the job. Now, I'm not talking about these crazy healing services where they hit you in the head and hit you so hard you got to fall back. I mean, if you didn't fall back, you'd be amazing. I'm not talking about that. Do you know there are people right now, probably less than two, three miles from this church, they live in California, it would be a, a million dollar home. And that would just be a meager dwelling. And yet they don't speak to each other. The father and the mother haven't spoken to each other in years. The children go in, slam the door, and they hate their parents. Where is the church? Why do we let that kind of thing go on? We should be doing everything we can to go outside of this room into the fields that are white unto harvest. And we need to set up ways that people can get in touch with us. I call them good work salvation ministries. I don't have time to tell you all the oh, it's so wonderful. They can be done. And people need it. And you say, well, we only reached two or three people. Thank God. What, do you have to have five before you do it? Are you arguing with God? Well, God, if there are this many, will you save it? If there are this many, Abraham, I will save it. Well, what about this many? That's how the church does You see, if we don't see hordes of people walking through the door, then the ministry's not working, so we don't do anything. So we come to our church and we sit right here, and a preacher can preach his heart out. Do you know how hard that man studies right there? I can tell you. He comes to this service so excited. I've got the message. And we come to the service so ill-prepared to receive it. Because our heart is not in Jesus' heart, but our heart is in, well, preacher, let's see, it's almost noon and, uh, I've got to be here. Uh, I've got to do this. We are so consumed with ourselves and with what we have to accomplish that we have given up the mission that Jesus Christ gave a long time ago. Twofold. Number one. Preach the gospel. Number two, we reach that community through good works. Whatever it takes. If they need food, find food. If they need counseling, get counseling. If you have to put a sign up the size of the state of California, we're here to help. Put it up. Whatever it takes to get a phone call, to get a visit, to tell someone, because that's the start of, of walking as Jesus walked. And Operation Renewed Hope has done that for years. Uh, Operation Renewed Hope started uh, a little over 30 years ago. I was in a church just like this, probably the same size. Uh, We were uh, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, The 82nd Airborne is located there a very patriotic place, and a very crude place. Uh, When you get in the military, they teach you to kill people. The people that came to my church all knew how to kill people. One of the best men that I work with, right now I'm working with him, over 30 years, we're working on a project together, okay? He can kill you 32 different ways. He's special forces. You learn to be crude. You learn that life means nothing. And yet he's out letting his Christianity guide him rather than his 23 years special forces. We were... The 82nd dropped into uh, Patea Airport in Panama City. Uh, that was during the days of Noriega. How many of you remember Operation Just Cause when we went to Panama? Do you remember that? A few of you, yeah. Some of you weren't even born yet. They jumped into Paitia Airport, captured Noriega's jet. He could not leave. He wound up in the Catholic embassy and eventually gave himself up to the U.S. forces. You say, why did we go there? Panama Canal. It was a guarantee that if the canal was ever in danger, the United States would take care of that danger. Noriega was a danger. So when they came back, they said, "Pastor, we got to do something. We got to help those people down there. Greatest mission on earth. We got to help these people." So uh, I called the uh, Ministry of, of uh, Sports. And I said, you can't take the kids to Williamsport for Little League championships because all the money's been sequestered by Noriega and they're trying to find it all. And they said, that's right, we can't. I said, well, then our church will come and we will put on a complete Little League for you there. And they said, you're kidding. I said, no, we'll do it. So they gave us all the permissions. Everything worked out. The Coca-Cola Corporation said, Hey, we'll, we'll help pay for this thing. So down we went, took a baseball team with me. We played baseball. Oh my goodness. We had time of our life. We taught the kids baseball. We had. Tournaments every afternoon in which our kids would uh, be the umpires, and uh, man, we had teams coming in. We would have over two hundred adults every day that we preached the gospel to. Well, the missionaries said, "Man, this is—we've worked too hard," and we had. That was hard work. I was tired, especially with a group of boys that never went to sleep. <laughs> so we went out fishing. Now, I've never figured out why it's relaxing to get up at 4.30 in the morning to go fishing. Have you? That was real relaxing. (laughs) So we went to the backside of the Katoon Lake, which is Panama Canal. All right? And uh, there was a fishing village there. And the name of the fishing village was Arenosa. And so uh, we had... Fishing guides, native fishing guides. They had these little bitty boats. Out we went. You went this way or that way, and you're going to be in the water. And we just started throwing hooks out. Now, I'm used to fishing. You throw the hook out, go get a sandwich, right? At least do something you enjoy. All right? Uh Uh-uh. Bam, 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 bam. One fish after the other. We started pulling those things in until the boats were full. I'm not kidding you. I had never seen so many fish in all of my life. We went back and the little kids were sitting. They were waiting on us. That's how they made their money. Clean the fish, clean the fish. They knew English enough to say clean the fish, five cents. And I said, sure. So they charged me for 300 fish. Now those little boogers better have been right. Okay, I think they might have charged me just a little bit much. Of course, we fed the entire 200 people fish the next day. We had so much fish. They cleaned it all, and I noticed while I was clean, they were cleaning the fish. I, I noticed the kids had, you know, little things. A little salve would help around the ears and down the back of the neck, and uh, cuts and wounds. So I looked at the missionary and I said, man, we always bring a medical person with a ball team. Next time we come to play ball, we'll bring the nurse up here. And he said, well, let's go talk with the village president because he'll have to approve it. So we went and talked with him and he said, oh, would you come? He said, we have no medical care. And he said, uh, we've got a good clinic. It just doesn't get used. Uh, And he said, and we desperately need a dentist. And I looked at him and I said, well, friend, I I don't have a dentist. We're just going to bring one person. And he goes, okay, we'll take it. So I flew out, never thinking a thing of it. I left Panama. Uh, We had had a wonderful time. It was a great time for our church. Got back and the phone rang. And a person said to me, I understand you're taking a medical team to Panama. And I said, no, we're taking one person with a ball team. Well, count me in. I'll go. Oh, okay. Phone just kept ringing. I never even told people we were doing this. Man called, phone rang and picked up. This is Lieutenant Colonel so-and-so, Howard Air Force Base. I'm in charge of all dentistry on the base. I was in church Sunday night where you preached. I was not able to be there. He said, I understand you're bringing a medical team to our place. (laughs) I said, well, yeah, I guess we are now. (laughs) He said, I've already cleared it with uh, our colonel. We're on TDY to you, which means they would get paid, and it would go in their jacket. He said, I have four airmen and... Uh, myself and another officer who are dentists. He said, uh, you just tell us where to be. We bring everything. You don't even worry about it. We're a contained unit. We don't need outside support. I said, wow. Guy got his dentist. And so it just swelled and swelled and doctors, optometrists, dentists. I mean, we had a... The first team was made up of over 35 people, and folks, I did not even think of that. God caused the phone to ring. We, uh, in fact, I'm still working with the doctor, still working with the others. My dentist passed, or my uh, optometrist passed away. Great guy. So. Got a phone call. And um guy says, I understand you're taking a team, a medical team to Panama. I said, well, yeah. He said, uh, I have a whole warehouse of medical supplies I'd like to donate. I said, are you kidding? Now, when he said me- uh, warehouse, I'm thinking garage. Okay? I mean, I'm not thinking warehouse, uh, there might be a couple of pickup truckloads because people exaggerate and so on and so forth. He said, well, uh, I'm with Southwest Medical Supply. He said, here's our address. Meet me at the dock. I drove over a little pickup truck, sweet little 53 Chevy, <laughs> and uh, went inside two floors, 45,000 square feet. And he took me upstairs and said, from here to here, that's all yours. From here to here, that's all yours. We went row by row. Went downstairs. He said, from here to here, that's yours. So I realized my pickup truck, not going to make it. So on the way back, I stopped at the place where I buy tires because they have an old box truck that they take their tires, you know, in to the dump. So uh, I told him the story. And he said, uh, Preacher, that's the craziest story I've ever heard in my life. He said, I'm going to let you have my truck to use. We took out box loads and box loads of truck, of the supplies and trucks. One right after the other. Filled every room in the church. I don't know why they kept me. Okay? I never (laughs) figured out. Now, once you take it, you got to get rid of it. God had told me to take it. I knew that because I got a phone call, right? So I was telling everybody in the church about what God was doing and all this stuff. And our church was really excited about this. Uh... And a man came up to me in the church, and he said, uh, you don't know what I do, do you, Pastor? I said, well, I know you're in the Air Force. I know you're chief. And I said, I know that nothing leaves the port squadron, okay, without you being involved somehow. He said, that's right. No No Air Force plane carrying cargo can leave the base until I sign off on it. He said, I can ship all that medical supplies for you. He said, but I don't know how. And he says, I don't know how to get the permission, but I know I can do it. So he said, you need to call the State Department or the Department of Defense. So Monday morning, you know, what they do with yellow pages? I tell you what, you could take that yellow page and find anything. Sure enough, turned to Department of Defense, went down there, and there it is. There's the main number for the Department of Defense. It's the only one I know. So I called it. And the guy had answered said, no, Pastor, you're at the wrong place. He said, you need to call the State Department. I said, okay. So, dutifully, I got my yellow pages, turned to the State Department, called their number. And uh, the uh, lady that answered said, no, uh, this is not where you need to be. You probably ought to call DOD, Department of Defense, and ask for humanitarian affairs. And there's a lady there by the name of Judy McCallum, and she'll take care of you. So I called the number, uh, and as I always say when I tell this, the greatest miracle occurred in my life. Somebody in in Washington picked up their phone and answered it. (laughs) And it was Judy McCallum. And I I explained to her what I wanted and she goes, well, pastor, you're not exactly in the right place. I was getting tired of that. (laughs) And she goes, now, I make it military cargo, but I can't approve it. You need to call a man by the name of Jeff Slagle over in the State Department, USAID. I called Jeff. He answered, another miracle. And he said, uh, I told him what I wanted. He said, oh, yeah, Pastor, no problem. Do it every day. He said, do you have a fax machine? That's when we use fax. And uh, I said, yes, five pieces of paper came across that fax machine. Took me less than 20 minutes to fill out all five, and I signed under penalty of death giving up my firstborn and never being able to walk again on U.S. soil that what I was telling them was the truth. (laughs) Sent it in, called, and they had an inspection. We had the whole church front lawn, and it was big, covered with boxes we had an inventory of every box, what was in there. And the guy said, I see on your inventory box 275, where is it? So I would have to go and find box 275. He said, there's this in it, show it to me. I'd reach in, pull it out, show it to me. go, okay. Later they started taking pictures of it, not just trusting it. So we got through that and our package sailed. They called the... USAID in Panama City, they said, yes, we will handle this shipment. So I'm walking down the, uh, hall of the church, uh, and I get a phone call. And the man on the end of the, uh, that initiated the call said this, uh, I'm with Military Airlift Command. We have a C-130. Inbound, Pope Air Force Base, have your cargo at the base at this time. Please contact your consignee in Panama City. Tell them that the C-130 is inbound, Howard Air Force Base. It will arrive, ETA, and tell them to be ready. I fell to the floor and I wept. God had just done a miracle for me. I didn't even have a truck to take it over in. I called the Air Force and I said, hey guys. What are we going to do? I got to have it there. Oh, don't worry, preacher. We'll find vehicles somehow. And you should have seen all the little Air Force vehicles roll in on our church property and they'd load those things till they were packed out and off to Pope Air Force Base they would go. I remember one time we had a shipment. They actually brought a tractor trailer from the base to help us because we didn't, we had no money. This was all done without anything. Our church didn't have the money. They would come help us. They got that shipment over there. It was picked up. C-130 was loaded. Off it went. Landed in Howard Air Force Base. The missionary was standing there waiting for the shipment. That was three million pounds ago. The United States Air Force has been our friend. I want to read the last verses to you. That's how Operation Renewed Hope started. I didn't start it. I had no idea when I went to that ball game to take care of those kids that I was stepping into a ministry that would work in over 15... 15- Verse 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Would you go with me and see the multitudes? Or better yet, would you walk out that door and stop seeing cars and houses and big buildings and foreboding things that keep you quiet? And would you see that everything out there is made up of human souls. Jesus looked out on the multitude. It was a group of Jewish people. And he was moved with compassion. Come with me. I can use every one of you on a medical team. I need 15 non-medical on every trip. I need 15 medical people, just nurses, doctors, dentists, optometrists, Gynecologist, pediatrics. Oh, what a woman would give to talk to another woman about her private needs around the world. Do you realize that only in this country and a few others there is such a thing as women's medicine? Oh, those poor ladies you don't even begin to understand the horrors that they go through. Go with me and see the multitudes. Oh, the saddest thing I know is that our churches no longer weep. We don't cry over the lost. We don't know anybody who needs anything. We're so self-sufficient that we can't even cry anymore. Go with me. The word compassion here is the idea that he, when the Greeks used this word, they talked about the inner workings of the human body, all the organs in the inner part of the lower part of the body. Have you ever watched somebody fall and you cringe and it hurts right here? Have, when you were a kid, you ever ride a roller coaster and when you hit it off the top one, whoa, you could scream high and loud. And you felt it right here. That's, Jesus felt it right here. When was the last time you left the doors of this church and you felt the cringe of lost souls? And you had to stop and take a breath you had to get control once again. Jesus was moved with compassion. Why? And I'll be through here soon. Because they fainted. You ever seen a person who has had all the energy and strength that his life ripped away by living? Have you ever talked to a woman Who will carry 35 pound bags of rice while her husband carries 50 pound bags of rice out of the fields? Have you ever seen a lady in India? You're doing a clinic, and in comes a little scooter. They're all over, three wheelers. And on the back, they have places where you can put stuff. It's like a little bed. And the guy gets off the scooter and he lifts this woman up off there and drops her on the ground, gets back on, and leaves. She's never walked. Her legs don't work. They're rough as leather now. She's drug herself through the ground so long. All she cares about is that somebody... but for a moment, really believe that she needs to be loved. Oh, she can get medical care. She can't get love. Jesus could give medical care, but beyond that, He could give the love of God. And people wanted to be next to Him. They wanted to walk beside Him. They wanted to hear His voice. Why? Because He was moved with compassion. He hurt on the inside. Because they looked like they had energy, but it was all gone. It had been ripped away by divorce. It had been ripped away by hard living. They're all over this country. We don't have to go to the mission field. You can find more people here in that condition than you can even minister to. You'd have to start 20 churches. Then it says this. And we're scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. See, these are the two verses that nobody ever preaches. You hear 37 and 38. You never hear 35 and 36. But without 35 and 36, 37 and 38 don't mean a thing. They were like sheep having no shepherd. I understand the theology of this passage. This is talking possibly about Ezekiel 34. Uh, And it's the shepherd, the good shepherd chapter. We've studied that, haven't we? And talks about how the bad shepherds of Israel had not taken care of the children of Israel. They had not fed them properly. They had not provided care for their body. They had not done this. And Jesus says, enough. And he condemned those shepherds. He said, but the good shepherd is coming and he will take care of his people. But I love to go... Moses, and I'll close with this. I'm moving as fast as I can, I don't move as fast as I used to. In Numbers chapter 27, verse 17, God's told Moses, This is it you're not gonna go into the promised land, you're not gonna lead the people any further. Don't you know that was a blow? oh, wow, the shepherd was pulled from the field. He said, you're going with me. I'm going to let you see it. So Moses, in in this chapter, went up and he saw all of it. I don't know how he did because there was no way from that mountain he could have seen everything. I don't know. Maybe God gave him a vision. I don't know. But he said he saw this, the land of this people, this, the land of this people, you know, how it's broken up. And God said, this is it. Now, what do you think Moses would say to God? What would you say? Oh, Lord, I've tried. Man, those people drove me crazy. You even wanted to exterminate them. Man, I I went and I saw your backside and I brought down the Ten Commandments, your, your law and they were worshiping a golden calf. Come on, give me a break here. That's what we would have done. That's not what Moses did. Read the passage. He said, Lord, would you please leave a man to take care of Israel? They cannot be sheep without a shepherd. Those were his last words to God on this earth. And God said, I've chosen Joshua to be that man. And God took him. That great shepherd of Israel turned over the staff. And his last words, oh God, take care of these people. Have someone to go out in front of them and to come in. Show them where they're supposed to go. It's a hard job. But the people matter. Well, Moses, don't you matter? No. No, I don't. I've got everything I want in Him. Take care of the people. Scattered. I looked this word up in its original language and it talked about a battlefield where people had been scattered. It talked about a wolf attacking the flocks and how the hireling would flee. And that wolf would ravage the animals and jerk and tear them and they'd fly and they'd be scattered. That's what it means. This world has a ravenous wolf. And that wolf goes about, he's a lion seeking whom he may devour. And he rips and he tears and the sheep flee. But there's one other application I want to make. Would you help me I want to reach the lost. Would you help me shepherd the lost? They're just like what Jesus is talking about here of the nation of Israel. They're being ripped apart by the world. They have no answers, although they appear confident. They have no value, although they appear to have a large bank account. They have no purpose although they put on a great face in the presence of other people. And today, they faint. Do you have compassion on those souls? Come. Go with me. Allow me to show you what Jesus so.